Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. Listen, I, I could do what regular services do. I could preach a sermon now, preach. You come forward, get prayed for, and go home. But friend, there must be more than this. I said there must be more than this. Remember, it was your pastor, not me, who said tonight, listen, we want the presence of God here tonight. Listen, let me make this real clear for you. And this could actually preach myself out of a job here. The presence of God is not attracted to sermons. The Bible says when the priests went into the tabernacle and worship went up to God. Then the glory cloud filled the tabernacle. See, friend, listen. Jericho did not fall down because Joshua preached a sermon. Worship began to flow. And friend, let me teach you something tonight. When worship goes up, fire will come down. But here's a problem. Here's a problem. Like, we can all clap that, but while you're still checking your clock and you're watching, going, "Hey, what?" It doesn't work that way. So let me, no, no, let me go teaching style for a second. Here, okay, watch this. Let's put evangelism to one side. Let me teach you a second. The scriptures teach this: that Moses was instructed by the Lord, "You and seventy elders from Israel, come up to the mountain and meet me there." So the Bible says they go up to the mountain and the glory cloud was there. Fire, lightning, thundering. But then the Lord says this. Hey Moses, they're going to stay there. I want you. He said, Moses, let them worship from afar, but you come in. So the Bible says that Moses, Moses approaches a cloud of glory and God says, don't you move. Wait. What did he do, Jordan? He waited. What about after that? Did he sink? No. He waited. Friend, let me talk to you about a missing art that the church has lost. Waiting on the Lord. Do you know why? Because we glory in our efforts. And we think that somehow our efforts and striving got the Lord here. Friend, listen to me. We do not worship to get him here. We worship because he's here. Did he not say, I will never leave you nor forsake you? I don't worship as if God visits and goes and comes and leaves and people post on Facebook after the Lord visited tonight. What do you mean he visited? Like he, where did he wander off to afterwards? For listen to me. When you worship with the reality in mind that God is here, it'll change everything. The Bible says this, six days Moses waited. You know, if I said tonight, lift your hand if you want to move of God in revival, everyone would lift your hand. The problem is in two hours, most of you would leave the service. And we wonder why the Lord's not moving. We wonder why we're not seeing revival. See, we don't get to dictate to the Lord what he wants from us our job is to do this find what he wants and give it to him 
find what he wants and give it to him. See, tonight, I, part of me wants to move on. Part of me says, what if? What if? What if we worshipped beyond how well our day went? What if we sacrificed beyond what my flesh feels? Friend, I've been up since early this morning. I've been on planes, flown here, went to the hotel, ate some junk food from a fast food restaurant, prayed, and then came here. Nothing within me right now feels like preaching a sermon or worshiping for hours. But worship has nothing to do with my feelings. The Bible calls it a sacrifice of praise. That means it's going to cost you something from time to time. One more time tonight, lift your hands to Jesus. Maybe you're tired, maybe you're weary. Friend, tonight, I want you to learn to pray sacrificially. Now listen, if that's all you learn tonight, you've learned enough to last you a lifetime. You know, history records songs of worship going up from the Colosseum as the early martyrs were killed for their faith. History records from the underground church in China as they are tortured in prison cells for their faith, a song would rise up. I have decided to follow Jesus. See this, this worship would come out of them, friends. See, that's why it's not dictated on how I feel. For listen, if there's things to do with how we feel, Jesus would never have gone to the cross. Did even Jesus in his humanity pray, Lord, if this cup can pass me by, but this is the posture of a laid down lover of God, not my will. Yours be done. You know, friend, one of the biggest things I deal with is the pressure of man to move on a service as if you prostitute guest ministers to give you a show. Friend, that's not the point of this. Gone are the days of performing ministers, friend. We are all called to be priests unto our God and to bring Him something that heaven will not ignore. I used to think my job was to see souls one. And friend, I realized that can become a golden calf. Friend, my first and primary job is not to see souls one, it's to make the Lord happy. It's to make Him happy. Let me tell you why. I know people living in sin leading people to Jesus. But what does that mean when we stand before God? You preach the gospel and then prostitutes will come into your room after the service. You preach the gospel while alcohol bottles are in the green room. Friend, this doesn't line up. We have to come to the place of the church where He is the goal. He is the program. He is the desire. He is the worship. He is the word. He is the offering. He is the altar call. He is the fire that comes down on the altar. He is our message, our source, our food, our water, our oxygen. Let, let me just let me let me dream with you for a second. What about the day when it comes? When the glory of God so fills the service, you forget the name of the guest minister. 
What about the day that we don't put a picture up on the screen of the guest because no one cares who they are? Or if we just put on the screen, Jesus will be there. Like what? But here's a convicting part about that. It would still not be enough to some people. My favorite Facebook preachers there. I might come, but yeah, uh, you know, Jesus, he's awesome, you know. And what happens is this. We become more in love with ministers of the gospel than the one who the gospel is about. We condense our little schemes into 45-minute programs because, Jordan, this generation doesn't want to sit in church for hours. I wouldn't either if the Lord wasn't there. See, this is the fear. When a church gets to the place where, as Samson said, and he did not realize the presence of God had left him. We still try and pull walls down in our own strength, not realizing that the Lord is no longer in the midst of us. Because we've built it around our schemes and our programs. And what can we do to get more people there? Since when did the numbers determine success? Friend, what if this building tonight was packed to capacity? Would you be any happier? It was a great service. Why was it? People tell me all the time, we're having amazing services. Based on what? What is your barometer of success? It was a great word. Friend, I can find you an LGBTQ activist who can preach well. Do you see what I'm saying? We have to redefine what was successful. According to the Lord, it was one thing. Build me a tabernacle. And if you do, I'll come and dwell with you. See, my friend, watch the Lord is so specific. He made it real clear how this had to be done. He even said things like this. Don't even let any tools be used on the altar. You guys okay with like old covenant preaching real quick? Can we go like old Levitical real? See, watch, watch, watch. You don't just get to throw out the old covenant and think it's not relevant. And then watch this. See, God said this. Don't you dare put any tools on the stones that I formed. In other words, go and find rocks that have been formed by wind and rain and by nature. What was God saying? Even in the altar, you will see my creation. Even in the altar, you'll see that every dint in that rock was formed by me. And I certainly don't need your help making it look any prettier or any cleaner to appeal to men. Or you think the Lord was just concerned about how good the rocks look? No, no, he was saying this. That rock, the way it looks, the way it was shaped, that was done by me. In the wilderness, when every raindrop came down in it, that was done by me. When that edge became sharp because of the wind blowing against it, that was done by me. So don't try and put your hands on what I've done. Because if you put your hands on the altar, I'll take mine off the altar. I think we're preaching that sermon. See what, this is my sermon right now, all blended in with worship, okay? I, this is not my service anymore, watch. 
See, God was even so specific in saying this. Bring your burnt offerings, your wave offerings, your grain offerings. And I find it hilarious. The first time they built the altar, they tried burning the offerings. And the Bible says fire came out of the tabernacle and consumed the offering. What was God saying? I don't even need your help with the fire. I'll bring the altar. I'll bring the sacrifice. I'll even bring the fire. Here's what God was saying to them. Here's what God was saying. I'll light the fire. You learn how to sustain it. Where's my iPad? Where's my iPad? Friend, watch this, watch this, watch this. Do not move anywhere. Do not move anywhere. Do not move. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Watch this. The book of Leviticus chapter 6, 8 to 13. says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be kept upon the altar all night until morning, and the fire on the altar shall be kept burning. See, friend, let me, let me tell you first, 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 first. First God, why do we need the altar? Because friend, listen to me tonight. Fire never falls without an altar. I said fire never falls without an altar. You see, the Bible says that they would go and collect these stones from the wilderness and they would stack them one on top of another, friend. See, this was not an easy job. I imagine guys like Abraham, Noah, Jacob walking through the wilderness, finding these rocks. They weren't little sandcastle things. They were big rocks. In other words, it will cost you something to build an altar. You know why you come into services dry and you leave dry? Because you don't want to pay a price to build an altar. See, friend, an altar was a place that they met with God. The Bible says it was a raised place. Church and neighbors say it was a raised place. That means it didn't stay at ground level. It went up to God. It was raised above everything else on the ground. It was given a place of importance. It was given a place of notoriety. And when something was lifted up, it represented consecration. In other words, I will separate whatever's on top of the altar with what's below the altar. I'm talking to someone. And so the Bible says that they begin to stack these stones and build an altar frame. Watch this, you see? This was the case all throughout the scriptures. When the altar was built outside the tabernacle, the fire came down. When Elijah rebuilt the altar, fire came down. When Solomon built an altar in the temple, fire came down. When the 120 gathered in the upper room, fire Stop, 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 stop. Now some of you theologians are saying, well, young man, because that's how it always starts if you're less than 30, okay? Young man, there was no altar in the upper room. Read your Bible. Let me help you read your Bible. Okay. Are you not familiar when Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? And friend, I've got news for you. Whenever God orchestrated a temple, there was always an altar. And when there's an altar, fire will come down. Fire will come down. 
you better listen to me tonight. Listen to me. Listen to me. Fire will not fall on your worldly altar. I said fire will not fall on your worldly altar. You see, friend, listen to me. I got news for you. Heathens build altars too. Let me talk to you about something called the prophets of Baal. They built an altar. Well, Jordan, I thought you said if we build an altar. No, 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 watch this, watch this, watch this. God determines how the altar looks, where it's built, how it's built. See, this is what Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians 13. Take 1 Corinthians 3. He said, take heed how you build. He didn't say take heed what you build. Because a lot of things have been built. God doesn't care what you can build. He cares how do you go about doing it. That means this. God does not just see the altar. He sees the motive of the heart while the altar is being built. The Bible says that the false prophets of Baal began to build the altar. And they began to cut themselves. They began to scream. Nothing. Nothing. Why? Because fire does not fall on worldly altars. What's that going to do with me, friend? See, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not. But in your heart, there is a fight for an altar to be built. Inside of your heart right now, there's a war taking place. Either you can build an altar to a sinful world that will leave you with nothing. Or friend, you can go into your prayer closet and by prayer, supplication, tears. Let me stop right there. Let me stop right there. You think there's any wonder that Elijah said, pour water on the altar? Pour water on the altar. It seems to negate the idea of fire. But friend, is there any wonder that when Jesus was on the cross, blood and water flowed? Do you understand this? Blood was shed for a sacrifice on the altar. Water was added to the altar. And when they were there together, fire came down. Friend, on the cross, blood was shed. Water was shed. In Acts 2, fire came down. I got off my scripture. I got off my scripture. Okay. Watch this. He said, And the priest shall put on his linen garment. Let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. What's that going to do with me? Are you not kings and priests unto God? See, even what the priest wore was significant. See, these linen garments were colored in white. In other words, friend, if you want to build an altar to God, you make sure you dress in purity while doing it. You make sure that you walk in holiness while you're doing it. Because there's a bunch of people trying to build altars to God in that little Christian sphere, and they're not living in purity behind the scenes. They're not walking in holiness before God. Yes, there's miracles. Yes, there's signs and wonders. But I've got news for you. That ain't the minister, friend. 
See, people look at preachers and say, wow, he's a man of God. Why? Because someone got out of the wheelchair? I've got news for you, friend. That wasn't him. People tell me he's an amazing man of God. Based on what? He can preach well. So can Harvard lecturers. I can bring you a preacher that will preach to you about pandas. Doesn't mean it's anointed. They'll preach to you about pandas for two hours. How they grow. What the like is cooked. I don't know why a big panda just fell right in my spirit, okay? Doesn't mean it's anointed. Because the gifts are without repentance. He's a man of God. On what? You see, friend, I used to be impressed by those guys until I realized they had nothing to do with people getting saved. That was the Lord. They had nothing to do with the sick getting healed. That was the Lord. They had nothing to do with demons getting cast out. That was the Lord. Watch what happened when the seven sons of Sceva tried to cast devils out. They got stripped naked and sent running. Do you know the people I like to sit with now? People who have been married for 30 years and not cheated on their wife. That's a man of God. People who treat their wife right behind the scenes, that's a man of God. People who can respect their children and not lose their temper, that's a man of God. People who speak to the pastor the same way they speak to the prostitute at the end of the street, that's a man of God. Somebody who will stack chairs after the service, that's a man of God. A man who will go down into the middle of your city, find some stinky homeless man, put his arms around him, preach the gospel, feed him, cast the devil out of him. That's a man of God. It's a man who knows how to do the right thing when no one's watching. It's a man who spends time in prayer as much on the mountain as in the valley. Don't get yourself in trouble, Jordan. See, friend, the priests were tasked with taking the burnt offering. And the Bible says, watch this. They carried it out to a clean place. Can I tell you what that means? See, the Bible says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Watch this. If you will look beyond the hype, and the emotion of a service and realize that God is looking for those who will happily pay a cost to look like him you will realize that even Jesus himself got upon an altar in the shape of a cross and was sacrificed for the sin of the world friend our only due obligation you see Jonah I'm a follower of Christ I come to church I read my Bible Here's the problem. That is not the prerequisite for following Christ. Jesus said, if any man desire to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Then you can consider following me. In other words, friend, don't even worry about trying to get on a pulpit if you've not been on a cross. A pulpit without a cross will kill you. See, we, we've had this preach in the church. We get excited at a service. Run to an altar. 
and try and be a good person. Here's the problem. God's not looking for good people. He's looking for dead people. I said he's not looking for good people. He's looking for dead people. Listen carefully. Your prayer closet is an open invitation to come and die. Yeah, I know that's not worth getting tattooed, you know. It's probably not worth posting on your Facebook either because it won't get many likes. Because to most people, your prayer closet is an open invitation to your golden mansion in the sky. I got news for you. Unless you learn to die, you'll never see that golden mansion. This was the requisite of Jesus. Before you even think about following me, deny yourself. Take up your cross. This is what Paul said. That I may know him and the fellow see her. That's a great part to skip out on. I want to know him. Stop. Read the rest of the verse. Then tell me if you want to know him. And the fellowship of his suffering. Suddenly people are much quieter after the whole verse is read. So we've got to get this thing right about the Bible, friends. It's not a buffet, it's a set meal. You don't get to pick and choose a part. This ain't Golden Corral, friends. You take the whole Bible, or you don't take any of it. So listen, everyone's Jesus, meek and mild, but you've got to have the Jesus of flip tables at the same time. I'm just, I'm a grace of God kind of guy. Well, you better know about the judgment of God too, friends more about the love of God. Okay, you don't get that without the wrath of God. So the Bible says, after the altar was built, then he shall take off his garments, put on other garments, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning it shall not be put out. Friend, watch this. And the priest shall burn wood in it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Verse 13. It shall not be put out. Verse 14, it shall not go out. You, you think the Lord there just kind of messed up his vocabulary and didn't repeat the same thing? See, watch this. If I was to preach this message, which I was really going to, but I had to have eye surgery and it jacked up my whole week, okay? If I was to title this sermon, it would be this. Someone watch the fire. Someone watch the fire. You see, friend, two things. I said it. Are you okay? You guys all right here? Okay, you can sit down if you want to, but it makes me happier that you don't. I feel like you're more engaged, all right? See, in verse 13, the Lord said this. Make sure it's not put out. But in verse 14, he said, make sure it does not go out. What is this? One man extinguishes, one man neglects. If it is put out, 
man extinguished it. If it goes out, man neglected it. Either way, someone better watch the fire. See, friend, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Churches all over America and all over the world, in the name of being culturally relevant, we have extinguished the fire of holiness, the fire of purity, and we have put the fire out. But friend, I wish there was one person who would stand for God, because I've come to tell you, someone watch the fire. If the fire has not been extinguished, it has certainly been neglected. There were churches all over America where the fire was burning and it's not been extinguished. It's just been neglected. Let me just kill some random nonsense teaching here. I've heard all my life, friend, come and get more fire. Come and get more fire. If I want to build a fire, I do not add fire to fire. I add fuel to fire. And I know it's more dynamic and more exciting if I say, come and get a top of a fire. It's just not biblical. You know why fires get extinguished? Because God promises, I will start it, but you must sustain it. So watch this. It is so telling about the fire of God. The book of Leviticus chapter 24, 25 said this. Fire came out of the tabernacle. I've got news for you, friend. If fire came from his presence, there's only one way to sustain the fire. You've got to be in his presence. That's why right now all over the world, we've condemned 45-minute sermons that look good on Instagram. And there's no mention of Jesus, no mention of blood, no mention of repentance. And I've come to ask someone, will someone watch the fire? I'm not talking about having more. I'm talking about can we at least protect what we've got? You wonder why you've not got more. You're not even protecting what you've got. Will someone watch the fire? Can I keep going? See, friend, the Bible says this. In the very next verse, it says that Nadab and Abihu came to the Lord, they took their senses and they started fire. Oh, we've got a problem. The fire of God has just been lit on the altar from His very presence. And Abihu and Nadab have a great idea. We'll start our own fire. Friend, I've got news for you. There is one reason that they were devoured by God. Because you cannot bring something to the Lord that did not come from Him. Anything you bring to God has to come from God, through God, and back to God. That's why the Bible says, don't use tools on the altars. I don't need your help. Unless I formed it, it's not holy. Unless I touched it, it's not holy. Unless I called you, it's not holy. Unless I formed it, it's not holy. Unless I authorized it, it's not holy. The Bible says they brought strange fire. Brought strange fire. You know, the translation says this they brought forbidden fire. Friend, I've got news for you. 
there's a bunch of strange fire taking place in America right now that God will not accept. And here's the problem. The strange fire looks more appealing than authentic fire. It looks more exciting than normal fire. It looks more worldly than regular, than holy fire. And that's why so many people will flock around this little fire because when they get close to it, they don't get burnt. When they get close to it, they don't get convicted. When they get close to it, Here's the problem. Everybody wants fire until it changes you. Friend, I have heard absolute nonsense sermons about come and get the fire of God. Get excited to preach the gospel. Get lit on fire. That's not what I read in my Bible. Let me take it a step further. We overlooked the quote, Luke 3.16, he'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit of fire. Yeah, I don't think you'd say yes if you knew what that fire would do to you. You really think that fire was just to get you going like this and say, see, do you realize that Pentecost cost Jesus his life? And you really think that Pentecost was a happy shake service? No, 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 no. I never read once in my Bible that fire was to make me excited or shake on the floor. But I do read it was to purify me. It was to burn out anything that doesn't look like God. It was to mold me into the image of Christ. It was to destroy wood, hay, and stubble and produce gold, silver, and precious stones. It was a fire of purity. It was a fire of judgment. It was a fire of holiness. We all want it until it demands change of us. Suddenly, Give me strange fire, it doesn't hurt as much. Give me strange fire, it makes me feel better. Give me the fire that makes me shake on the floor. But why would you shake if you don't get changed? Well, friend, I've heard a bunch of sermons about fire. It never demanded change. was temporary excitement with no deep lasting conviction. See the same word used for fire in the book of Pentecost is the very same word used for fire when it says that the world will be burned up with fervent heat and fire. See friend we love this little version that's all the fire of God. What about the part where it comes to you and says, stop speaking to people that way. Stop lying behind people's backs. No, no, let the fire burn that part out. When the fire of God comes, friend, you don't get to choose what goes. It is an all-consuming fire and it will burn and burn until you are dead and more dead and more dead because fire only burns dead things. You wonder why the fire seems to have gone out in your life. You're too alive. Try putting a live tree on a fire. You take a dead tree. Tony, I don't want to die. Oh, Paul did. For I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. There's only one way for Christ to live in you. You better die so he can live through you. 
See, friend, we think the result of Pentecost was excitable preaching and emotion. I've got news for you. I'm about to just blow all religious little caskets open here. The disciples were preaching before Pentecost ever came. And go a step further. The disciples were healing the sick before Pentecost ever came. So how about we all stop getting excited for a question and actually ask, why do you want the fire? I want to go into ministry. You think the fire of God has a certificate on your wall? I want to be used by God. Friend, we have so cheapened a holy fire down to a need to be used as if you're some employee by God. Let me, let me show you what happened here. You guys okay? Turn to Acts 2 as quick as you can. You guys can sit down if you want. You're doing a great job, by the way, all of you. Friend, I want you to watch this. Oh, don't all of you sit down. Now I'm upset. I need at least someone standing up and yelling back at me, okay? Watch this. Watch this. I want to talk to you about the effects of Pentecost real quick. In fact, I want to talk to you about the unpopular effects of Pentecost. Because the regular preached effect was Peter preached the gospel, they got saved, and they went out. Well, yeah, but let me go a step further for you. Verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Started with holiness. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Watch this. Everyone stops there. Keep playing. Keep playing. Everyone stops there. Do you know why? Because that's the cool part. That's, that's the part that will get you a great offering. And people will get emotionally excited. And, Brother, that was great. I fell out. Okay, what after that? I told you this wasn't the popular version of the fire, but it's the biblical version of the fire. Watch this. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Fire produced longevity. That was a really good point and you all ignored me. The first effect of Pentecost was the fire of God and the baptism of the Holy Spirit produced longevity in them. I don't care if you fall out today. Where are you in a year? Do you know how many messages I get after I preach somewhere, especially youth conferences? Brother, my life was changed. It was amazing. Okay, talk to me in a year. Because the true test of God touching you is not within a week. I want to know where you're in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Where's the fire then when everyone's turning against you? When the world says, shut up, will someone watch the fire? They continued in the breaking of bread. That's communion. The fire of God should produce love in your heart for communion with Christ. And in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. 
Friend, the fire of God produced the fear of God. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Watch this. Watch this. The fire of God produced unity. Do you want to know if the fire of God's in the midst of you? Is the unity. Because you'll soon discover when you all get around a fire, friend, you'll all be attracted to one thing in the midst of you, the fire. They had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods. And <laughs> oh my gosh. I hate that this has been live streamed right now. I feel like I'm giving you a PG version right now. It's okay. Maybe someone's getting blessed online. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Friend, the fire of God produced generosity. You want to know if someone's been touched by the fire of God? Watch them sell everything they have and go and give it to a bunch of poor people and be nonetheless upset but be filled with joy because fire has now consumed what they thought was important to them. It has consumed monetary value. It has so consumed them. They are of one mind. I'm storing up treasure in heaven where moss and rust will never decay it, where burglars won't break it and steal it. The fire made them eternally minded. They continued daily. That's called intimacy. Someone should be writing all these points down. I'll, I should put it in my sermon eventually. They continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness. It produced gratuity. They became grateful for what they had. And simplicity of heart. That's called childlike faith. Friend, it didn't puff them up. It made them childlike. Some of you advice, step into the fire, you're too Pharisee. Should I finish that sentence? You ever meet somebody that is so full of themselves there's no room for Jesus? They have so much scripture they don't have humility. You say, that's not possible. Oh, it is. John chapter 5, you search the scriptures to find life, but you won't come to me that I can give you life. I memorized the Bible. Okay, and it made you real humble at the same time, I guess, because you told me you memorized the Bible. Jordan, I love Jesus more than anyone I know. It really shows. Yeah, you really got the idea of the first will be last and the last will be first there, huh? Praising God and having favor with all the people. Friend, the fire of God produced favor with man. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being 
saved. I want to have five more minutes if that's okay. Friend, I want to give you two reasons. Why I believe God said, do not let the fire go out. The first reason was this. It was God who started the fire. You see, every time they saw that flame, they knew this. That is not from this world. Listen to me. The effects in your walk with God should be so evident on your life. People look and say, that's not from this world. if they had neglected it for a moment the only way they could keep the fire going listen to me the only way they could keep the fire going was for a sacrifice to stay on the altar listen carefully the fire will burn as long as there is a sacrifice on the altar I'm going to say that again because that was really good and you missed it the fire will burn as long as there is a sacrifice on the altar. For all you visual learners, it looks like this. Every single day, God, until there's nothing left of me, let me stay on the altar. God, until I look like you, let me stay on the altar. God, until I sound like you, until I talk like you, until I walk like you, until I speak like you, until I sound like you. Friend, I would advise you, if you get off that altar, the fire will start to dwindle. And I've come with one message. Someone watch the fire. For listen to me, I'm talking to you as a church right now. I promise you this, I travel for a living. I stand in more churches each year than I know what to do. Friend, listen to me. There are a lot of great churches. Don't believe the lies. All churches are dead. Nonsense. I've seen God move around America, in Asia, Africa, Europe, uh, wherever the heck else I've been, South America, North America. There's a bunch of churches loving Jesus. But friend, here's my point. If we look at the book of Acts and we look at the church, how similar can we actually see it lining up? You see, I'm thankful to God for moves of God, like Azusa Street, the Welsh Revival, the Hebridean Revival, the Toronto Outpouring, Brownsville. But friend, I've got a question for you. Will someone watch the fire? Will someone stand in our generation and say, God, you've given me one job. Do not let the fire go out. Friend, you can preach about the fire. You can talk about the fire. But I'm looking for one person. Will someone watch the fire? See, I've got news for you. If you will watch the fire, you will not have to manufacture fake fire. I'm going to say that again to you. If you will watch the fire... You will not have to manufacture some emotional show. And suddenly you're offering strange fire to God. 
that is profane to him. What made it profane? It was not from him. I've got further news for you. You don't get to control the fire. 